progress, not perfection. I thank God that he gives me the peace about that. And for us, what I'm hoping as you watch the kids' video is we have a great understanding that when peace comes, especially when it comes to siblings, it's peace and quiet. That's what parents really desire sometimes too, is, is peace in the household. And we often look for peace when it comes to places that we want to live. In Canada, we are a peaceful country. And as you know, there are many places in this world that aren't peaceful places. We are a fortunate country to live in that. And even beyond that, when we look for places to buy houses, we think, if I can just find a peaceful neighborhood. There was a gentleman that was searching for a house, and, and he found one on a quiet street. It wasn't very loud at all. He was told that it was right close to the high school, but he didn't really think it was that loud. So he bought the house in July, middle of summer. When September came, you know, it didn't get too, too bad until about 8.30. There were some late stragglers on the way to high school. And as they walked down the street, they were banging on every mailbox that they could. And he got kind of disturbed by this daily. It just happened. Every day, the same gang of kids would be going off to high school and banging on mailboxes as they went, waking them up and just disturbing the peace. So he went out one day with the ki- to the kids and said, Hey, listen, gentlemen, I want to do something for you. I want to give you $20 a day to keep banging on those mailboxes. $20 a day. Kids thought that was a great idea. So every day, they'd come banging on the mailboxes, waking them up. He'd walk out on the street, give them 20 bucks. A week went by, went back out on the street, said, kids, I didn't realize how expensive this would get. Um, do you mind if I drop the wages to 15 Oh, that sounds all right to me, $15. Yeah, yeah, all the kids agreed, $15. So they went banging on the mailboxes for that week, and the man went out again and says, listen, guys, I'm getting really down in the dumps here. Like, inflation's hit, and, uh, you know, can I give you guys $10? The kids are like, no way, sir. I ain't doing this for $10. And peace came. <laughs> you do find peace in different ways. And you have to think outside of the box when it comes to peace. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. A very popular story. My prayer is that a lot of us will read this around the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. This is the story of the birth of Jesus. This is the story that changed history. The birth of Jesus. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, And was expecting a child. Let's pray as we go into this conversation. Father, I thank you that you've brought peace to me as I've journeyed through this conversation in my own mind about what peace looks like to me. And God, as I translate what I've heard from you this week, I pray that you just help us all with peace. Even though we all have different understandings of what that looks like. God, even though we think worldly, we think, you know, peace in Ukraine, peace in the Middle East. Father, we, 
We don't truly understand until we really get down to a place where we need peace to really understand it. So help us understand this conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week was the candle of hope. It's also known as the prophetic candle, one that would speak of hope. Again, reaffirmed by the resurrection of Jesus, hope now exists in this world. This week is the candle of peace, which is also known as the Bethlehem candle, representing the journey of Mary and Joseph. I think about this story, and I wonder about the situation that Mary might have been in. I think for some of us, one of the hardest things to grasp when it comes to the Bible and when it comes to the story of Jesus is we want concrete evidence. We, we live in a world where if, unless I see it, I can't believe it. Unless I really, for my own personal sake of belief, am able to touch it, I don't think it exists. We, in especially North America, have taken wonder out of the equation. Wonder is such a powerful thing. And when Jesus speaks of the idea of childlike faith, I believe what he's trying to talk to is about the wonder. We lose the wonder of Christmas. We lose the wonder of Scripture because we have this one question in mind that we need an answer to. This question is, why? This question, I believe, is the polar opposite of peace. Because I've been wondering, and I, I wonder this often when I speak about messages, I wonder what's the opposite of it. I've talked about the idea of the opposite of sin is love. I believe that the opposite of peace is the question why. And not having an answer to the why. I don't know is the opposite also of I wonder. When we set our minds on not knowing something, we take away the wonder, and the wonder particularly of peace. I think about peace that Mary had to have. Mary is at peace with being pregnant. We've, we, we, we know that story that she, we, we've seen the hope that's coming into the world at, through her obedience. And she even sings a song of rejoicing known as Mary's song. But let's read between the lines just a little bit. Husbands, this might be an excellent message for you because I know it is for me. To keep the peace in relationships... You have to read between the lines. Am I not right? Like when your wife says, yes, honey, you can go golfing. Read between the lines, gentlemen. Does she really want you to go? What is the path to peace? Or when she asks the question, how do I look? What's the answer? Something that keeps the peace, I'm sure. When Becky was pregnant with our children, I had to step into a new department of husband peacekeeping. Technically, as I looked it up, it's called pregnancy mood swings. I know, 
I might get hit on this one, but pregnancy-related irritability might be another way of putting it. I was an experiencer, experiencer of this. I couldn't say anything that would create an irritable, irritable mood eight months into the pregnancy. So let's try to make sense of this. Mary's eight months pregnant. See where I'm going with this? She's just finished instructing Joseph on how to put the baby crib together. And men, you know all how, all how that feels. She's inspecting the paint job he just finished a week prior and is about to go on Amazon to pick out one of those perfect bedding sheets for Jesus. Joseph's phone rings with shattering news. They have to move. The automated message from the government continues, so Joseph puts the phone on speaker. The last census that happened prior to this, this unexpected call for the census was the census of Quirinius that took place six to f- six, about six years earlier. This was a census ordered by the Roman Emperor Augustus and carried out in various regions of the Roman Empire, including Judea, where Bethlehem was located. The details of the census are referenced in the Bible, as we just read, which mentions that Joseph and Mary had to travel from Bethlehem for a census where Jesus was subsequently born eight months into the pregnancy. The crib is made, the room is painted, and everything looks exactly like it should. They've done the painting, and the room looks like this. Perfect. You know, for an eight-month pregnant lady, seems like a good place to bring your child home to, right? So I can just imagine the conversation after Joseph hangs up the phone. Now I get it. There were no phones back then. But you get the idea. The information was probably passed mouth to mouth and not on some billboard, but on the street and not some Facebook post. And when Mary caught wind of this actually happening, I can just imagine the wrath potentially that would have come Joseph's way. I just want to pause for a second and recognize that we've all received that phone call. It might not be eight months into a pregnancy of the Savior, but we've received that email or that text or that piece of communication that took any piece that you might have had or was feeling and it ripped it wide open. Maybe it was the call from the doctor. Maybe the auto mechanic. Think about that one phone call that took your breath away. The Bible does not explicitly mention the specific duration of the time that it would have taken for Mary and Joseph to make the trip. But I wonder how Mary was feeling. Did she lash out in frustration, break down and cry? Did she ask the question, why? Why was this happening? Why do we have to move? Why can't we just stay here so I can give birth to the baby in the comfort of my own home? Why? 
It's generally understood that Mary and Joseph journeyed to Bethlehem shortly before Jesus was born. The travel would have taken place in the days of, or weeks leading up to Jesus' birth as they needed to, to, to head from Bethlehem or be in Bethlehem for the census. Again, the question, why? The distance from Nazareth, where Mary and Joseph lived, to Bethlehem is approximately 90 miles or 140 kilometers. If they wanted to avoid Samaria, as you, many of you know the story, it would have taken even longer. Traveling by foot or with animals, as was common in that day, the journey could have taken four to seven days, not to mention the possible pit stop in Jerusalem to maybe offer some sort of sacrifice for even the anger that they might have been possessing that they would have thought as sin. Consequently, Mary and Joseph had to seek shelter in their new location. Of course, we all know the story that there was no room left in the inn. Why? No crib, no Amazon sheets, no freshly painted blue walls with a little angel crib mobile to soothe Jesus. Why? But yet, as we sing the song every Christmas, away in the manger, no crying he makes. This line refers to the peaceful and divine nature attributed to the birth of Jesus Christ, portraying him as a calm and serene baby without the usual crying associated with infants. It is a sent sentiment expressing the idea of a tranquil and gentle presence, highlighting the purity of innocence of the newborn baby Jesus in a manger. But still, the question must have been in Mary's mind, why? But all of it was answered when she looked into Jesus' eyes and saw the peace. Just like every mother that's experienced the pains of why during pregnancy and childbirth, when they look into the child's eyes, there is peace, full explanation to the question of why. Today, there's lots of whys. You all have one. Why war would be one. Why segregation would be another. And why, particularly in this season, does conflict continue to ensue in the Holy Land? Why, why, why? How many why questions do you have in your mind right now? And again, without having any answer to the why, there is no peace. Every day in the worn, torn Middle East, there is a checkpoint between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. For those that don't know, Bethlehem, the place of Jesus' birth, is actually in Palestine, in the West Bank. Every day they wake up and there is no peace in Bethlehem. Every day in the worn, torn Middle East, this checkpoint separates Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And to leave the West Bank... Palestinians must make their way through this journey, and many do. There was a peace process through the Oslo Accord that offered some optimism and hope, and there was relative peace for about six or seven years. This was the way it was. There was peace. There were periods of tension, and there was, of course, the infamous Grapes of Wrath in 1996, the Israeli attack of South Lebanon. Overall, there was a strong sense of optimism that things would be better soon. All this ended in the year of 2000 when things erupted again. 
there were very difficult, bloody, violent five years that ensued. Invasions continued. Of course, what we're talking about is the conversation of lack of peace in Jesus' birthplace. There was a gentleman that's written about this, a pastor named Munther Isaac. I've been reading his book, The Other Side of the Wall, a Palestinian Christian narrative of the lament and hope. Munther crosses this border every single day. They call it Checkpoint 300. And really, it is the opposite of peace. But we don't have to face this in Canada, so why is the conversation even coming up? The conversation comes to the table because it's an evidence, again, that we live in a broken world. A broken world in Canada is the same broken world in Israel, in Ukraine. It is still a broken world. And from the Old Testament words of shalom, which was the Hebrew for peace, shalom never really existed apart from one important factor. 166 times this word shalom shows up in the Old Testament. It was a pretty popular word. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establish and upholding with justice and righteousness. For from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He is the Prince of Peace. but we still live in a broken world. In the end, peace, if you translate it down to a definition, it's about completeness, soundness, or well-being. Irene is the Greek word in the New Testament. 96 times it's used in the New Testament. Again, it was originally about rest. If you literally look at the, the original language, the idea of rest was the most important factor. As with shalom, arene could be used as a greeting or a farewell, as in peace be with you, or it could signify the end of a conflict or the presence of domestic tranquility, or the answer to the question, why? Let's go back to rest for a second. In the definition of peace, both from arene and from shalom, Rest becomes a major factor as you begin to think about what rest really means. How many people, when it comes to the questions that they have of why, find a lack of rest in not knowing the answer? Even simple whys keep us up at night. You go to bed thinking about these things, and you cannot sleep. You have no peace about something at work. You have no peace about something within the home. You have no peace about something that you have a why for.
as of last week, we talked about the idea of the wish book and how the wish versus hope. So peace in the end is really about well-being, total well-being, about a secure understanding that God's got it. And to know that God's got it, we have to first know that God exists. And to know that God exists, we have to take the question of why out of the equation. We have to know that God has got it. And we have to be at peace with a ton of why questions we have about first the Bible, first about religion, second about religion, sorry, and third about our own understanding of our brokenness. A lot of people cease to believe in God because of a why question. Why would God allow that to happen? Why would God allow a broken world to continue? Why? Even to some of those simple why questions, you blame God. And we all blame God for them. Which takes away the total well-being, the prosperity, and the secure association that God's got it. And we take God out of the equation and never get an answer to why. And when we never get an answer to why, we never truly have peace. We never have shalom. Because shalom is the desired state that we all want. We all want peace. And the absence of peace breaks down relationships, both personally, breaks down homes, breaks down communities, breaks down everything. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 18. If only you'd paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like waves of the sea. Back in those days, it was like a contract that if you did this, you would keep peace. If you do the opposite, you won't. But then Jesus came and changed everything. That first Christmas was in Palestine. And following that birth of Jesus, there was a genocide that followed. And thousands of Children were murdered, and the question of why was prominent on so many parents' minds. The Holy Land had turned into a holy graveyard after Jesus' birth. And I asked the question, why? I've asked that question, why, so many times. I have a lot of why questions, and a lot of them used to keep me up at night. But now I have a sense that God's answered a lot of those why questions with Jesus. And a lot of you sit there and go, well, that sounds like you're just throwing wool over it or whatever it might be. But I have a certain understanding of peace now. Why would the God of Christmas allow the chaos of why? I don't know. But I'm at peace with it. Because I have a wonder. And when you're all right with not having an answer to why, 
you will have peace. Go back to Mary on that five to seven day journey on a donkey heading towards a place she had no idea or no desire to be in. That why question continued to prominate her mind. I'm sure there was frustrations. Let's continue to read the story. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you, and you'll find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. To men on whom his favor rests. As the worship team comes up to journey through this understanding of peace with us. There are four ways to find this peace. Find the peace in the why. The first is this. You must have peace with the Father. Permanent peace cannot be achieved without having peace with the Father. He will give you that peace. And the peace that comes is second, is inner peace. And you need to discover that inner peace. You will need to discover that there is often and most times always never an answer to why. And you need to be at peace with that. And this inner peace will lean, lean to a peace with others, which changes families, which is, changes communities, it changes provinces, it changes countries, it changes nations, it changes the world when you have peace with others. Keep asking the why question and that will be difficult to achieve. And the fourth is peace for the future. Peace with the certainty that the question why will never have an answer but to have peace for the future here and now brings peace for the future. Peace with the Father. Peace with yourself. Peace with others. Brings ultimately the peace that you're looking for to the question why.